welcome to the Creative Weirdos Podcast. Today we have a really special episode. It is a roundtable about one of my favorite um, pieces of artwork, TV shows, uh, things in general, as well as some of my favorite creatives to talk about it with. I get to talk about Twin Peaks with two of the most thoughtful, wonderful folks around. Chris Ernst, who has been on a few times before, and I'm just so glad to have him back for this one. And my new friend, Steve Berg, who has also been on once before and just has some amazing insight to all of this. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. It's been something that's been stewing around in the back of my head for a long time now, and I just didn't know how to execute it. And as you'll hear in the episode, I think we're going to turn this into an ongoing series because we realize that not only is it really beneficial to talk to all of your friends about things you love, but to bring in other people to talk about it. So having a series, we can invite other guests on that love Twin Peaks as much as we do, or maybe in a different way than we do, or maybe not like we do. But yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun series to keep up with, and I'm so excited on how this first episode came out. Please enjoy us rambling about David Lynch, Twin Peaks, and a bunch of other general weirdness. Go follow Steve and Chris and check out all their work at the links below. And if you want more from me, I have a Patreon and a bunch of other stuff on my website as far as the artwork goes. And thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the day, and I'll talk to you soon. I'm real stoked to talk about you, buddy. today's topic Go. of conversation. Oh, you're all good. I'll give it a couple <laughs> months. Awesome. So. Dude, I was going to say, if you want to use this for your show as well, you can totally really? release this. Like we could do. Oh, would yeah, you mind? Oh my God. Steve. I would love that. Not at all. dude. Oh, I, was, yeah. I meant to offer it in the group chat before we even. You did are this. a giant just Thank you. It's my pleasure. I've been loving the show, by the way. Like, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been great. I mean, I've loved it. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I got have to get both of you guys on. I, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's more work than I yeah. thought it would be. Yeah, <laughs> I thought like we hit record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like everything worthwhile is. Yeah, right? no, totally, totally. <laughs> I'm used to doing just say the words and then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome it's nice to hear a lot of the same people that i've talked to and and to hear them in a different light one of the things i've really realized about podcasting over doing this for a little over a year is that it's not really about one person or the other it's about the two people making a whole nother person yeah. almost like it's like the two people coming together make this whole thing so even like when somebody mm -hmm. is on four podcasts in a row you get a different experience of that person each time uh -huh. i i completely you know? think so too like i i really don't don't get tired of hearing the same people that like you would you would you know if like soraya show it's a lot of the same people i think yeah. i fucking love it every time <laughs> it's yeah. never yeah. the same though it's like chris you're one of the most impressive people like in this in this world to me i'm like jesus you're like so like you have a grasp on everything i feel like <laughs> i know certain <laughs> well yeah good but like i'm like your mind is 
What's the no, what's absolutely. the thing that Lisa said from The Simpsons? I'm a buffet intellectual. I pick and choose at the table. Otherwise called a dilettante. Well, no, thank you. I appreciate it. What I really loved about listening to your uh, to High Strangeness is that it's exactly what you said. Like, you know, I've heard Tim Banal a zillion times, but the experience of hearing Tim Banal on your podcast is completely different. I really, I, I loved Thanks, it. Man. I mean, that, it's that kind of thing yeah. that's great about yeah, it. Yeah, right? I completely fun. agree. It's, it's fun. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. Well, the the uh, Simpsons joke is a perfect segue to start talking about the conversation because I definitely saw the Twin Peaks reference in the uh, Simpsons joke, you know, where Homer's watching. I think it's a unicorn, like, dancing on its legs, and he's yeah. pretending the like he gets horse. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the yeah, horse, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And I, that was my first introduction to Twin Peaks, for sure. Like, I saw that and had no clue what the show was referencing. Really? You know? that, the, that, that was, yeah. Oh, my God, that's Wait. great. Yeah, like I was so in, in 1990, I was five. So I definitely right. like I, I wasn't even watching The Simpsons when Twin Peaks was coming out. Like I probably that like 94 was probably when my first like real big cultural thing was. And I didn't find Twin Peaks all the way until probably uh, halfway through high school, 2002, 2003, something along that's, those that's lines. That's a good zone, though. Yeah, and yeah. it was, you know. We, uh, my good friend, I was lucky enough to essentially throughout high school just hang out with a bunch of kids that were already in college and had like houses of their own. So my buddy's house that we would hang out had the VHS VHS collection, and you know it's beautiful how it all makes the red room on the spines of the VHS. So like I remember walking into his bedroom upstairs in like a punk house that's really gross, but he kept his bedroom really nice. We'd go smoke weed and like watch movies up there and stuff, and like seeing that laid out and being like what's that let's watch that just from like the yeah. spines and like that red curtain yep. and everything and so that was kind of my first way in was just essentially like uh getting stoned and watching with my buddy and you know halfway through high school in his uh in his bedroom and it was a magical experience like it was so cool because at that point in the early 2000s it wasn't being syndicated anywhere it wasn't like the internet was the type of place you could go watch it or like you know i did Netflix exist in the DVD form at that no. point? I'm not sure. I don't yeah, think so. I mean, you something I think you had to own. I don't think you could even rent it, like from and you know, maybe like totally. our house video store where you could rent it, but like no, you had to own it yeah. or know somebody who had it. And that, that made it even more, yeah. you know. Yeah, it exactly. made it feel like an initiation almost because oh, it was also yeah. early in that group of friends. Like at my time of that time of my life, I had left one group of friends because our worldviews weren't lining up, let's say. And uh, yeah. I found a new really cool group of friends that were like self-publishing their own comics and they were putting on shows at their house and touring. And I was like, oh, this is yeah. the energy I want to be around. And they're still my my local uh, sangha to this day, you know, like they're my people. Nice. And uh, Twin Peaks was a big part of like watching that and having them expose that to it was like twin peaks and the new york dolls i found in the same night and i was like oh okay this is it's a good I, night I <laughs> yeah yeah That's it's really very, cool it's, that it was so formative with like you and your friend group you know it was similar for me too yeah yeah, so that's what I wanted to get to was what was your discovery of this show? If you want to uh, start, Chris, and we could uh, sure, yeah. Well, you know, I was one of the people that saw it when it was live and it aired, um, you know, on C CBS. I think it, it was, was. Um, and yeah, I uh, you know I was one of those kids that uh, uh, I, I wasn't allowed to watch TV early when I was uh, younger. Um, 
mainly sort of you know uh, uh, hippie parents uh, type thing. TV was bad, but as as I got older, and by the time Twin Peaks came around, I was you know young teen, preteen, and uh, I used to brought, watch. I used to read TV Guide, um, you know, because that's when you know how things are happening, yeah, and you know absolutely. I want to know what's going on with Hill Street Blues or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so if people don't know what uh, it was, an actual magazine you'd get at your house that had the TV listings in it, uh, and then all sorts yes. of great, uh, great journalism. And I think they had a feature on Twin Peaks or something like that upcoming, you know, fall season, because. I believe what was happening uh, from the industry standpoint was like there had been a bunch of really successful sort of creator driven shows like China Beach and stuff like that. So yeah. they were giving chances to people that were sort of auteurs uh, and they gave one to Lynch and Frost. And I think Frost had worked on some cops. Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues. He was a big yeah. dog over there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and so uh, it's something about it drew me and I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this looks really cool. And um, I watched it from day one. And I just remember the first hit of that music. There was something about it that I, I still can't put it into words. It like it hit me somewhere deep inside yes. my soul. And uh, yeah, it was I was gone from there. And this is about the same time that I, I met uh, this guy who still continues to be my best friend. Um you know, he does a lot of the music for a lot of my films. He's a, a musician, he's a prolific musician. He lives in Massachusetts. And uh, we bonded over it. And, you know, we had the tape. We got the tape of the soundtrack, you know, when it came out with the Julie Cruz stuff on it. We'd, like, sit yes. in his room and listen to it and talk about it. And neither of us really understood why we loved this thing, which was ostensibly a soap opera so much. <laughs> but, you know, we stuck with it. And I remember going to see Fire Walk with me, with him. And, you know, we, we kept on going from there i mean this was my opening in my my intro to lynch i think i'd heard about him from maybe like you know my parents were familiar with him as a filmmaker because they'd seen elephant man which came out when yeah. i was a little too young to see films so like they knew who that was they recognized the name but yeah that was my intro to uh twin peaks and you know i think also probably the start of the formation of you know many of my creative endeavors or those currents uh started about that time you know 14 yeah. or something like that yeah. yep um <clears throat> mine is fairly similar to chris's uh yeah i was i remember my mom like i got home from school it was a thursday my mom's like hey there's this yeah. mid-season replacement show that's coming and i read about it i think it was in tv guy because like my mom got got the tv guy i'm sure it was yeah. she's like i think you'll like it you know it's about a high school girl who gets killed i'm like yeah, I was I was at, I was probably like ten or eleven, so I'm like interesting that you think I'd like this, mom. <laughs> but, uh, but we watched it, and like I won't go into like the all the emotions I had about it, but now that I look about, it, it was a complete initiation experience for me. It it was like you said, it was Jack Nance saying she's dead, wrapped in plastic, and I really like really remember having this feeling like this is the best art I've ever seen in my life. So. Yeah. I immediately became like a really obsessive fan. I wore a Who Killed Laura Palmer shirt to school. I like I would I would watch the episode when it happened live. Then I would, I would obviously tape it, and then the next morning, of course, I yeah, I would watch it by myself and take notes, like with a little note, a little composition book, and take notes about it. Oh wow! Oh, I mean, like I was like so obsessed. I mean, then I, what it did for me though, it made me such. I mean, I always loved movies, but like. It made me such a cinephile to where I watched Blue Velvet. 
Yep. I watched everything Lynch yep. did. And then when I was done with Lynch, I watched everything Kubrick did. And I was like 12. So like I, wow. you know, it had this thing mind blowing stuff. It here. did where I only wanted to watch like avant garde stuff, and still to this day, that's what I gravitated towards. So it really infused this yeah. because I mean, like when you watch the first two seasons that aired on network TV, they don't seem so surreal. But you have to think of the time at that time. It really yes. was like Salvador Dali was making a TV show, you know, in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, and just that you know, kind of like. Well, yes. we'll get into more of the specifics, but yes, it was life altering. And I was already kind of a Fortean kid, reading a lot of UFO books. So this, I mean, it was just like manna from heaven. Like it was exactly what I needed at that time. Completely, yeah. The things that they referenced. I mean, the little bit that I knew at that point of, you know, UFO and 14 yeah. culture, like I understood the reference to project bluebird sure. and what was going on there. And I'm like, Oh, there's a secret, yeah. something that's there. And, you know, cause I was raised in this, you know, family that followed a uh, Indian mystic. I knew a lot about sort of Vedanta and Eastern religion. And so I could see that that in the stuff that Cooper was doing with, you yes. know, the Tibetan, you know, Buddhist, Wrong. I was like, Whoa, yeah. This is yep. what is th this is like part of the real world being pop yep. culture. Yeah, yep. yeah, completely, completely. Very that's, similar yeah. uh, experiences we had. Oh, it yeah. took me over. That's one of the I think that's only a great notes. way of saying yeah. it. <clears throat> yeah, totally, totally. That's one of the only notes I had. Uh, I don't write down my notes for these things. And with this type of material, I feel like I've lived it so much. I'm just not like I have plenty to yeah. say. Probably too much yeah. in a lot of ways. But uh but the way it exposed people to ideas like meditation on a global scale or a, mm -hmm. at least a Western global scale, I guess, like in our culture, was really interesting to me. And yeah, I think, Steve, you're right. The context is everything. Like what else was on TV at yeah, that point like, in 1990? And like before we get in, the, uh, I guess for any listener, there's going to be lots of spoilers here. There's going to be lots of like uh, things that, you know, if you haven't seen this yet and you don't want it to be spoiled, go ahead and skip it but i feel like we're safe at this point and i mean the the idea that twin peaks changed the media landscape i think is like historically yeah. accurate at this yeah. point like it, it it brought in this new era of tv and i think steve the other thing you mentioned that is one of those beautiful examples of how it's perfect place perfect time is the vcr mm -hmm. like without the vcr i don't think twin peaks would have had right. the cult following yeah. because right. after it mm -hmm. died in the water cooler culture let's call right. it you know yeah. the big reveal seemed to be a little too much for everybody that it was uh, essentially a, a plot of incest and uh you know murder that yeah. was it went somewhere people weren't expecting it to which i think is like yeah one of the super important parts about right. it. Like, I think like, yeah. ha like having that darkness in there is like what is That's... necessary to make the whole thing yeah. work, you know, but if it didn't have the VCR to have the people like you taping it and it died in yeah. pop culture, yeah. who knows how soon it would have been revived, even with Firewalk with me coming out and everything. I mean, I feel like that was such a perfect time for people to find the Easter eggs in this this lush, lush landscape that uh, that Frost and Lynch were right. creating. Same yeah. thing with why I think the Simpsons like benefited from the VCR. I don't think they would have had that cult status sure. as they Absolutely. had without the VCR at first to slow it down, look for all those Easter eggs all the things that these people were doing what's beautiful about it to me is they would put the same amount of attention to these creations with or without that ability but we were just finally able to experience yeah. it you know yeah. and i think that is something really special but uh but yeah since you all have that context of being a part of the culture more at that time what like how 
how different was it? Because looking back, like when I saw the big reveal of, of Laura Palmer's dad, like you know that whole re- that scene in when Coop holds him and he's dying uh-huh. and it flushes back into him, like what he's done and like. I never really subscribed that, you know, I think a part of him always knew, no matter what you say, I think he had to be somewhat flawed for Bob to get in there in the yeah. first place, you know? I don't think an entity right. like that would really take take hold, so I don't completely absolve Leland of what happened, but that, that scene where it all flushes back into him and Cooper's holding him, dying in his... I'm like trying to picture 1991 or whatever, people watching this in, like, their living right. rooms and, like taking it all in for the first time you know like what was that like for well you? just before i even say something like this it, it should be known that lynch and frost were forced to solve it and they were beyond yes. they were so yep. mad and in fact like lynch basically walked off and did wild at heart he left the show, he kind of right? left the show he yeah. came back at the end but like he was so upset and mark frost was yeah. equally mad because they're like this maybe will never be solved. They 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 had no intention yes. of like wrapping up in the bow. That is the most anti-Lynch thing ever. That being said, I did enjoy the reveal, especially at the time, because I was dying to learn sure. about it. Um it, yeah, it, I mean it shocked me. It horrified me. One thing I will say about Twin Peaks is nothing scares me more. Like it really like, you know, it, even though it's like not horrific, it's more psychologically disturbing. But like it messed me up as a kid. I had Bob dreams all the time. Like I really, oh, it yeah. like messed my sleep up. Like I, I became obsessed to a point where maybe it was borderline unhealthy <laughs> like with the show. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the, the reveal of Leland, I didn't see it coming. I, I thought it was Dr. Jacoby, um, <laughs> you know, love it. Love but it. Uh, no, it, it was very powerful. I remember taping it and waiting for my parents to go to bed and then probably, probably watch it like, two times in a row again and took notes still you know? yeah yeah no it was similar for me i mean i guess at that point i was less worried about discovering uh i kind of felt similar probably to lynch and yeah. frosted even though i didn't know any of this at the time like i was less concerned with solving that than more like solving the bigger yeah. things like like what is the black lodge right. and what happened to yes. you know uh um uh uh colonel uh um Colonel, Major oh Briggs. Uh, uh, Major Briggs. Major I'm Briggs, sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah. Major Briggs <laughs> and all, all of these things, like fun. all of these like uh, threads. Those are the things that you know were really sort of forefront of my mind. So what I hoped is that this was going to continue, even though we were revealing, you know, who killed Laura Palmer. And I was surprised too. Like, I mean, I was surprised, and I, you know, of course, same thing. Recorded it, went back and watched it. You know, my big worry was that we weren't going to see as much of Kyle McLaughlin. I mm-hmm. was a yeah. big Kyle McLaughlin stan. You know, um, uh, 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 still kind of want to be him. Um, and anybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. sound mine would um so yeah for me it was uh yeah it was it was the the fear more was that this was going to be the end of it because i could kind of see the sort of the weirdness of the second season and you know from reading maybe a couple of articles that hinted at what was going on i was you know a little bit i was nervous that things it was going to go away but the thing about lynch is that he ended up following me and i followed him sort of throughout our careers i mean he was doing 
uh i remember like inland empire came out when i was in grad school and it was like perfect like i was i felt like you know his films were progressing at the same time as i was progressing in the work that i was doing um so i didn't lose it like you know i didn't lose that connection there um and i sometimes wonder if there had been another season if i would have continued with lynch because what happened is when season two ended and it was i had to go out and seek out his movies seek out other Mm -hmm. things that were happening wait for it you know maybe if a third really terrible season had come out immediately after in 92 or whatever you know it would have been different but um yeah it was significant i was pretty sad i mean you know my friend drew and i we were we were pretty broken up that that happened luckily we were you know starting playing hardcore bands and do other things that were <laughs> you know uh, totally on our minds but yeah it was yeah. significant you know was, you, you, yeah. you said something interesting and i don't want to like throw off the <clears throat> no, throw it no, off but like on. i do agree with you i think heather been i mean at the time obviously it was devastating and for the 25 years in between season <laughs> seasons two and three it, i was yeah. always, it was always on my mind i was kind of making up season three in my head but um, oh, totally. you know what I mean? But I do yeah. think Lynch is not like a TV guy. I can't see him like doing a series for seven seasons. You know, I think he was done. Right. He had already made Wild at Heart. He was yep. already writing Lost yep. Highway. You know, like I think he was just like, yep. look, this is something I did. It's great. And moving on. Yep. You know, so I think the season totally. three might have been kind of shitty. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I bet it would yeah. have been for sure. Yeah. Or he would have been gone. They would have brought on another yeah, show. And, and, I mean, we know how it works. Totally. And Mark Frost yeah. probably, he's so smart. And like he, and he his, his role in Twin Peaks is so downplayed. And I, I can, I can I make know. an argument for he's more important to Twin Peaks than David Lynch even, to be honest. You know, like. Super accurate. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And you've read the book, Secret History of Twin Peaks. I've read, yeah. Oh, yeah and I read, no, yes. That, and, and the final. And they're so canon to Twin Peaks where. Where people are like, well, Lynch didn't have anything to do with it. I'm like, dude, if you, it is so canon to Twin Peaks. I mean, yeah, I love those books okay. so much. Yeah. yeah. This is such They're a great, great. Po- so a few things. One, well, I'll hop back first. Like, my experience of this show being that I didn't have any of that context. I didn't know that Lynch and Fro- when I first watched it, I was really trying to think about when I first watched this show. I didn't know that Lynch and Frost didn't want to reveal the, the, the death. I didn't know that Lynch left essentially during that second season middle chunk with window Earl and all that. Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. know that he wasn't involved and I fucking loved it. Like I thought the show got better after Leland was revealed. And then like the ending of the second season to this day, Chris, you said earlier, or maybe you said it too, Steve, that this was the scariest thing you've ever seen. And it still is. And the way that, final see that final episode ends in the second season when he looks in the mirror and he sees that bob is in there and i just immediately like i went cold and my stomach sank because cooper was this beautiful thing that was flawless we don't have characters like cooper there is not flawless characters like him he is perfect in a way that is so special and to see that even he could fall prey to the darkest of humanity was like oh we're all fucked like that just had this feeling that's that like i couldn't have um voiced that when i like turned the show off and was like wow i feel bad (laughs) but like yeah in retrospect i was like oh they're saying that this is in all of us which leads me to the other thing that i think you guys just touched on that this it goes back to that concept i love to talk about that like everything is 
when you follow, and I, Lynch talks about it more than anything, but when you follow the ideas, everything works out exactly how it's supposed mm-hmm. to, and everything ends up perfect because that show was meant to end right there, yeah. and all the stuff that changed from then to what happened in the third season had to happen both in the media landscape in the world in lynch's artistic universe because i think you're right steve at that point in his career he was not meant for tv he was meant for the big screen but what's really interesting is i've been listening to a ton of talks from david lynch as, as recent as you can and he started at one point um started saying about how the art house movies are dead and cinema is dead because of the way that people experience movies and movie theaters. And he was saying that cable TV is the new art house, like cable TV. And that was right before the third season came out. So I think like as the, the landscape changed, he grew with it and he was like, now's the time to tell this final chapter of the story. So like, I think it's like, one of those things that was written in the stars before any of us Lynch himself knew it, and it all worked out exactly perfect to the way it is. And that leads me to one of the things I want to talk to you all about as far as the third season goes. And I don't want to leave the first two quite right. yet, but like it, it, it highlights one of my favorite parts that I think Frost played a big part in of those first two seasons. And that is this kind of like a formulaicness of them that really made the rest of the weirdness sing. Like it had this very generic soap opera base that allowed the Lynchian weirdness to really, like I think about that, the uh, scene of um, major Briggs, who is one of my favorite characters. I get goosebumps just saying his Mm -hmm. name, that scene before Laura's uh, funeral where they're having dinner and, and Bobby smoking. He slaps a cigarette. Yeah. Like the campiness, yep. the over the top, yep. that is that combination of Lynch and Frost. Yep. Like Frost yep. set him set Lynch up for that slap. And I yep. bet that slap, I don't know for sure, but I bet the campiness, the way that slap, like even if Frost wrote that part, the way it was executed is all Lynch absurd humor yep. to me. You know, sure. like the way it fell in sure. the meatloaf and like but, like it's that combination that I think is so special. And like I love Lynch and I love all of his other movies, and this might be a unpopular opinion but i think he kind of peaked with twin peaks i think that combination of him and frost was something so special to never be replicated because frost allowed him that like that underlying kind of like formulaic structure of working in standard tv for so long that makes the weirdness stand out and makes it more disorienting and almost more real you know it makes it feel like this is like a real experience and i love that things that like that meta storytelling device they do with the soap opera and stuff. Like that's one of my favorite Quest, devices. Question for you guys. Have you, either of you ever seen the series that they did the next year in 92 on the air that Frost and no. you know what? No, I've never had this series. Yeah. I, my, my friend drew and I drew got uh, this, the guy who, you know, we've our friendship formed over uh, um, twin peaks. We got a copy of it in high school and it's amazing. It's hilarious. Um, It was on ABC and it was essentially this like uh, surreal, absurd comedy about a 1920s or thirties radio station. Like think, news radio but done by david lynch and mark frost um and it was starred the guy who played i forget his name from season two uh the suave uh gray uh uh, slick back character uh, uh, tremaine Um, jack jackie tremaine yeah yes yes Yes. yeah yeah stars him and uh miguel ferrer was in it 
uh, and um, uh, other uh, other like uh, Lynch folks. It was yeah. If you can find it somewhere, I'm sure it's on YouTube or something. Uh, watch it. There's this great part uh, about this guy uh, named Blinky Watts, who's a stagehand, and they have these parts where they go. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, it'll sort of freeze and it'll say, you hear this announcer come and it says, Blinky Watts is not blind. He suffers from Bozeman simplex. He sees exactly 25.62 times as much as the rest of us. If you were Blinky, this is what you'd see right now. And then it would have Blinky standing there and there would be like these like bells and whistles and like UFOs flying around him and like, you know, cartoon birds. It was just, it was... For the Amazing. time, too. This is, you know, 1992. I think it got yeah. like three episodes out in the middle of summer. Um, uh, yeah, it, definitely check out on the air. It's really, I think it shows you kind of another iteration of what Lynch and Frost could do. And it's definitely not Twin Peaks, but it still has that flavor. And if you want yeah. that, like, fix. Well, that, that was a real white. <clears throat> I mean, it was nearly impossible to find for a long time. because yeah. yeah, it, it was. It, it, they ran that show regionally. It didn't even yep, really? it didn't even get national like airing because remember it did not oh I didn't know it did not air in Omaha where I was you know living as a kid and I was like oh man yeah right and you couldn't rent it so it was like you know there was no internet you know when it came I I, I was yeah. like beside myself because I couldn't see it no we taped I mean it was we totally. taped it because we were in near Boston right. so probably yep. major market yep. yeah 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 that's oh, super man. interesting I'm gonna have to try yeah. and check that out but I yeah. I think you're right Mark Frost is completely underrated in these conversations yeah. not only from like that structure kind of idea that I was talking about but also the esoteric oh, information yes. and world building like one of those yes. things the two books that he wrote afterwards really does is show you that Lynch is like I think about it almost like how Joe Strummer talks about bands where like what really matters is the rhythm section and that it's really tight. And yeah. like Frost is this oh, rhythm right. section for, for Lynch to come in and just dance on top yeah. of and do the guitar leads yeah. and the lyrics and make it sing. Yes. But like yeah. without that firm world base, I feel like yeah. we'd be missing a big chunk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and and th there is also something going on in Twin Peaks. I just, before we move on, cause you remind me of it earlier there, there really was the way Mark Frost wrote monologues, especially, Especially the major garland one that you're talking about would before bobby mm -hmm. it was this ideal american dream type um veneer over a lot of these characters where they'd have these like about doing the right thing and moral codes and stuff like that and that really i think agent cooper embodied that old version of an american male and then when he yeah. when he was turned to bob it was the corruption of america which a lot which was a very hip thing to talk about at the time that i've learned since because you know, we're mm -hmm. still coming off Reagan, where Reagan was yep. capitalism perfected. <laughs> you know, like he really was. He was mm -hmm. like every you know conservative was like, oh my god, Reagan actually did it. He deregulated everything. Yep. We can get so rich. Let's destroy America. <laughs> you know, like and it, yes, we were no. really coming off the heels mm -hmm. of that. And I think that show and Lynch was super hot on this idea because he just done Blue Velvet, which was. Yes, you you know the, the opening thing. shot yeah. of the, the movie. Veneer. Yeah, the opening shot of Blue Velvet tells you everything about what Dave, go, was going on. Dave Lynch. It's this slow motion fire truck going down this idyllic American neighborhood, white picket fences, and then the camera goes down underground and it shows ants chowing down on a human ear. You know, and that to me is really what what Twin Peaks was birthed out of. It's that like on the outside everything's perfect, yeah. on the inside everything is horrific and dark and full of secrets. 
And in that and, sense, like, you know, I know that I certainly understand the criticism of the violence towards women yes. that is prominent in all of Lynch's right. stuff. Um, uh, you know, at least when I, because it's something that in my family's, you know, abuse and violence towards women was, you know, an issue and something that has happened in my family. Mm -hmm. So I'm familiar with it. Uh, and I remember when that came up, you know, as being sort of the solve for Twin Peaks, a lot of me felt like it was similar to what you have in, in Blue Velvet, where it's, it, it, it's, I mean, it's a commentary on what's happening yes. on, you know, yeah. the rape and the incest yeah. and the abuse that is hidden underneath the veneer of, you know, uh, uh, perfect uh, modern white American right. society. And that's a lot of what Lynch is obsessed yes. with because it's what he grew up yep. with. Um, yes. You know, not that's not an excuse, but just a way to think about it. No. And I think that, I you agree. know, I, I think that's also the, you know, if I were to try mm -hmm. to, and I'd not just assume an intention, because he's talked about mm -hmm. this when it comes to Blue Velvet. Um, yeah. I think it's true. And, Very you know, true. Yeah, that's, 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 that's I mean, like, look, he's his be two best friends are Naomi Watts and Laura Dern. And, he's, yeah. and he was married to Isabella Rossellini. Like, the guy is, yeah. like, not a... You know, like, I don't think he's using women as, like, this, like, artistic device to, like, show violence. I think he is like, saying something with it. And I think, Chris, you said it perfectly. This was going on. And back in the, you know, the 90s wasn't that long ago. But things were not talked about. Like, if a man, I mean, men were abusing women all over the country. And it was just kind of things like, hey, yeah, yeah, you keep it behind closed doors. And, like, now we talk about these things yeah. more, maybe because of his movies, you know, like... He, 100%. Yeah, yeah. He, 100%. Lynch is like obsessed with women. Like he is so pro women. He's, yeah. he's not. I do not see the it. The way as he that. talks, you know, it's yeah. so funny, and I love that this is where this all came up. One thing that it makes me think of is: Have you ever listened to Cheryl Lee talk about her relationship with Laura Palmer? Mm -hmm. Like, if yeah. anybody has ever listened to her talk about it, you realize yeah. that that is the most invalid argument. Like she. Yeah embraces laura yep. palmer as this i as essentially this totem for abused women all over that come to her being like we yep. felt safe talking about this after seeing twin peaks like mm. there's a whole book about it that's beautiful and i can't remember what it's called right now but it's a collection that cheryl lee put together of all these letters she's received from all these uh women that yep. have found solace through twin Absolutely. Peaks and the story of laura palmer um and the the thing that like you were saying about Lynch being this lover of women and this, he, he is somebody that lives life with a certain zeal, I think puts people off. Yeah. I think people see the way that he talks about things and like the way he talks about falling in love with ideas. Like it's this beautiful woman walking down the yeah. street and like, he talks about it almost like a 1960s, yeah. like, you know, the culture that he was a part of. And it's not that he's saying that you can't replace the gender with a different gender. It's the, this is what resonates with his true self. And this is what like gets, right. you know, yeah. like he is being authentic and like, you can feel the, like, one of the things that he gets asked so much in his interviews is like you sit here and talk about saving the world with creativity and ideas and like how beautiful these things like TM are. And like when you listen to his talks, he's the most positive yeah. person and like has all he really people. is. And, and, and the interviewer always gets the point. They're like, so why the darkness in the films? And his like whole rap is so good about yeah. how you don't have to be dark to make dark material yeah. and you yeah. follow the ideas all the ideas are down there and sometimes the ones that are deep dark you know, are deep down there and you go fishing real deep for those big ideas there's darkness in them but it doesn't mean that the whole thing exactly. is exactly i think that's what twin peaks like represents okay. so well is that like 
all of this stuff is a part of mm-hmm. us. Like the Black Lodge, the White Lodge. These are very old metaphors yeah. from esoteric and, and, and old ways yeah. of thinking. And, yeah, and they play and with a lot of Jungian ideas. are part of the same coin. Yeah. 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 Yes, really. the archetypes are huge in there. Yeah. And I think the, the, the fact like again that timing is so important for him when it came out like i i watched a couple interviews where he's like on um i don't know if it's letterman it's one of the late night shows but essentially he's like pleading for the network to change his time slot like he doesn't want to lose twin peaks and he thinks one of the reasons the numbers are falling is because of the time that he's like we're talking to late night people we need to be on like i think it's saturday nights he's trying to propose or or no it's like thursday nights or something because they're on saturday nights and he's like you know who watches twin peaks everyone who's out on saturday night not home watching their their show but you can see he cared that these ideas got like uh, out there and like to their fruition. Like he's somebody that believes so strongly in following those ideas that like, I I think that that type of all that type of lens is less and less used these days in mass, Mm -hmm. you know, media. And it's beautiful. I think speaks a lot about that time in the world that that bubbled up and became the biggest thing, even if it was only for like a couple months, that was the biggest thing in 1990 was twin peaks. It speaks to that like rejection of the capitalism we were just talking about and that kind of like the, the, the global weirdening setting back in and everything. But one of the things I wanted to ask you all, since you have a bit of a different timeline relationship with this, right? So the series comes I'm out. Me too, me too. And so Fire Walk With Me, right, the whole timeline's all weird for people who don't know. Like, the, right. the like, at what point, like, what order did you experience? Like, at what point did you see the original trailer, or, I mean, the original pilot that wasn't aired in the U.S. versus Fire Walk With Me versus the, like, was it uh, linear for y'all as yeah. far as your experience of all this stuff? Like, did it go the series to Fire Walk With Me to eventually seeing the weird pilot yes. where I was like, what is the second thing? Like, how was that as far as, like, an experience of, of it? For me, it was completely linear. I, I remember when Fire Walk With Me came out, I skipped I, I was like a reluctant athlete by that time. I like didn't, you know, I was playing football. I was like a big guy, good at it, but I really hated it. <laughs> and uh, I missed yes. a, like a football game on Friday night to go see it by myself. And I was like, I don't care. I was like trying to get kicked out the team. And, yeah. you know, like, and it was like a big dramatic ordeal that I called my parents. It was, I was like, I just don't care. I remember I walked to Cinema Center, which is like a movie theater, three miles away from my parents on a, fr- a Friday night when football was I was like, I don't care. I'm not missing the opening night. And I was, there was like, Ooh. I'm imagining you walking in your full <laughs> uniform. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I remember, and I remember, like, still to this day, something that gets me uh, is the last three minutes of that movie where they're back in the, re- the you know, the Black Lodge. And Laura is like looking up at her angel, and that Angelo Battlemente music comes on. I, I'm, I'm going to start crying right now. It makes me like yeah. fall to the ground in a fetal position and just start bawling. Like, and I remember seeing that theater being yeah. so embarrassed. I'm like, oh my! I, I was like beside myself. Like, I can't like get up and walk out. So I was like, I don't think anyone else was crying that hard. But like, it moved yeah. me so hard. I, I felt like I like broke out in a sweat. I was like, and I actually felt very resolved. I know the yeah. big criticism. I it got booed at Cannes. The Cannes Film Festival like hated it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually felt really satisfied. Where I was like, if nothing else, Twin Peaks ever comes out, I feel like I got my what I need, you know, from it. Mm-hmm. So it's a highly underrated movie, I think, because even a lot of Lynch fans are like, eh, I don't know. Like, I guess I like it more than I did. I'm like, really? I think it's like a perfect movie. Like, but. 
it, especially the yeah. missing parts version, which is the Lynch director cut. It's got more Bowie in it, yep. and that actually yep. makes it to me significantly better. Like the oh, I think you so know, too. It, yeah. It, it yeah. Really, and I loved it when I first saw it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I was lucky enough to see it in theater, enjoy it when it came out. It was you know absolutely yeah. wonderful. I had a very similar experience. Um, uh, I saw it with uh, that friend of mine, Drew, and uh, um, uh, I think we went, I went with my girlfriend at the time too, which was that was certainly like uh, coming out of it. She like she she was into Twin yeah. Peaks, but it was uh, I don't think she was ready for that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I remember being struck by a couple of things. One, I had a completely same experience. You know, at the end, I believe I did cry, and I still get in, intense oh. emotions when I hear the Belle Delamente. Uh, music. I don't know. As a quick aside, if you've ever seen the video where Bedellamente is at the, um, uh, he's at the piano yes. and he's talking about writing it with yes. Lynch, yeah. and he's sort of like, yeah, yeah. and then <clears throat> go. Yeah, that makes me great. that makes me cry uh, too. <laughs> it's so yeah, good. People should ser- search that it's out. It's so beautiful. <laughs> but I remember when we came out of the theater, all of us were like, I, I think my friend. Yeah, I think my friend Drew said something like, I feel like we just got the the crap beat out of us. Like, this was like, you know, that was the most visceral film experience I've ever had. And um, yeah, it was. And it did satisfy me, too. I mean, that in a similar way, I was like, the, I, almost the visceral nature of that experience. It was like some sort of apotheosis at the end of the Twin Peaks experience. Um, and yeah, I, I loved it at the time. I that scene when they go above uh the uh, uh um convenience store oh, uh like the oh, the first yeah. time you see that with the uh the guy with the long yes. nose the hopping nose. man and, table and, oh, god. <laughs> oh god oh that was just the like the i i, I don't want to say it's scary it's because it's not it's the thing that fills me with the most the closest thing to what I think it would be like to experience, I don't know, like a Bigfoot and get that Oz effect, yeah. fear, yeah. infrasound, yes. whatever, which I've never experienced yeah. or something like that, that type of supernatural paranormal experience. It's just, it, it it's like something about Gosh. it. But when people say they first saw the alien on Whitley Street, right. they're like, yeah, there's something about this that I just no. can't put you my know, finger on. But that's what Lynch. Chris, you said something yeah. that I've never thought about or put together, but oh my God, this is like revelatory to me. But like Jenny Randall's Oz effect, which I'm a huge fan of, but I love Jenny Randall's in general. I think she's yeah. great. But like that yeah. is one of yeah. the most important uh, terms in ufology to me or high strangeness. And Lynch truly is like a Oz effect simulator at, at, at times. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like I felt like when people are like, when people talk about their high strange experiences to me, I feel like yeah. I know what you're talking about because I've seen Twin Peaks, but I've never experienced the real thing. But like, yeah. I know that emotional feeling where like sometimes mm-hmm. when you're watching a Lynch film, like any of them, like, you know, the sa- the rest of the world is not there for me. And there's yes, not many no, filmmakers exactly. who do that for me, you know, or like my left brain yeah. is shut down and I'm just working on my right brain, yes. you know, like, yeah. No, you uh, all nailed it. I've had this thought so many times as far as like Lynch being able to capture the true other. Like he is capturing that experience. And like it's you're right. You you're right, Chris. It's not like scary. It's unsettling. It's 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 jarring. Like that's the yeah. stuff that like and like it's so funny because he can do it in a million different ways where like I think about that scene 
um in the the return in the third season where he just mm-hmm. hangs on the janitor mopping the floor for like you know 10 yeah. minutes or something yeah. and he's doing it he's like breaking your sense of reality i was thinking yeah. about this exact concept of how people talk about like it's hard to you couldn't capture a real high strangeness event in a hollywood movie uh, it came up on the most recent six degrees of john keel joshua cutchin says like you can't right film the joe simonson case you can't make a movie out of that without it being a joke and i'm like i don't know i think lynch could i think i think that is and i think that's what he does with twin Mm -hmm. peaks it's not that like but it's that it's that mix of kind of what i was talking to y'all about before we started recording that jim woodering one of my favorite cartoonists talks about it's that line of humor and and fear that he can ride so well and the putting those two things together and it's that like it's the fact that he's not like writing the stuff like he will admit he's not in charge the ideas yeah. come and it's filtered through right. him and he's he is trying to like get out of the way as much as possible and yeah. that concept scares people and when it comes yep. out the way it does in lynch's work it gets even scarier because yep. they're like yep. oh that's really down there in all of us like when you start talking about people creating from a true place of subconscious one of the uh, very big trends in it is for dark material to bubble up. Yeah. I was talking about yeah. this with ungoogleable Michelangelo the other day because he does a pareidolia form of art where he will take these pictures of stains and he'll pull out characters he sees in the stains and, and outline them. And he said at first he would filter the people that would come in and out. He'd be like, oh, that one's a little too dark. I don't want to pop that one out. But now he's like, no, I'm truly channeling something. I have to let them all through. And when he's yeah. like truly leaning in, the dark stuff comes mm-hmm. out. And I think about it with like underground mm-hmm. cartoons. Like people will say a lot that the underground comics of the 60s, it was like this this rebellion against the golden age and the like, you know, the the Frederick Wortham and like this like mm-hmm. this Puritan comics movement, right? But really what those underground cartoonists were doing, they were making flow state comics. They were just drawing from yeah, panel yeah. to panel and not writing or scripting. And what pops out is sex jokes and weird stuff yeah. that's in all right. of us. And like, yeah. it's such a constant thing. Yeah. I think that freaks people out when it works yep. and they're attracted to it, but it's kind of scary. You know what I mean? I think Lynch hits that sweet spot so well. He, he, he does. Um, yeah. I, I think it's important for, I mean, like, I'm, it's not like a requirement, obviously, but like, I think it's really good and important when artists deal with the shadow self because I think like for the person consuming yep. the art, it makes you feel a little bit better about your own shadow self, which we all have, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yeah. We all have a dark version yeah. of ourselves. But like there's there's almost something for me cathartic about a Lynch film where I do feel like, man, maybe I'm not insane. You know, like if there yes, is yes, these yeah. things are real, these thoughts are real, you know, and like if you yeah. if you no, suppress totally. them, well, they can manifest in a very unhealthy way. So it's you know, like and that, yeah. you know, this is a like, I don't even know if Lynch is a student of Carl Jung, but so much of his work, he is so strongly planted in, in representing archetypes and these yeah. the dualistic, I mean, like, dualism is a theme in Lynch. There's oftentimes doppelgangers where there's like uh, two different yes. versions of people. So, like, these yeah. are all very Jungian themes that I'm not even sure he knew a lot mm-hmm. about Jung. I mean, maybe yeah. he does, but, like, this is what he, he is dealing with. And it's such honest art yes. in a way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A no, lot of really the stuff is. he's, yeah, he has these sort of like, and I think some of that stuff is specific things like, you know, Black Lodge, White Lodge yep. coming from Mark Frost. Yep. But I think some of these are just these universals that are bubbling up, yep. Uh, yep. you know, through his work. I mean, if you look back at Eraserhead, that whole idea of sort of like electricity 
and uh, like cosmic space, you know, and uh, like all of that exists in there far before Twin Peaks. Right, Uh, right. And you can almost see, uh, you know, sort of a linear progression from that through to Twin Peaks and then through his other films up to The Return, you know? Well, you you know what's interesting is I'm really obsessed with, uh, lately I have been like looking at Electricity's role in High Strangeness and electricity really is almost kind of what I've deciphered from Twin Peaks, the mode of transportation to get from one yeah. place to another in Twin Peaks. Even in the very yeah. last episode where Laura Dern and, you know, Agent Cooper had to drive out 453 miles to a spot in Nevada, sit right by an electrical bolt yeah. to be transported to the other place. And in Firewalk with Me, yeah. electricity became a big, big motif. Where Bob is always going, electricity. You know, the the arm says it. Like, and, and like you said, it's a theme that Lynch was playing with. But you know, it's it's weird. It, sometimes I'm like, did Lynch read every valet and John Keel book? I highly doubt it. Oh, right. I'm sure Mark Frost did. And like Wilhelm Reich, right? Too, I mean, like know? he is playing yeah. with so many of these high strange motifs that I'm not oh, even yeah. sure. You know, what he know. read about you know, but it's right. That's why I always tell yeah. people, you know, I've had people say like, well, what's like the best like uh you know paranormal UFO documentary? I go, watch see Twin Peaks season three. Yes. <laughs> you know, like 100%. totally. Electricity so, is such a real thing that's part of it. It's really it's, it is yeah, that's a big it thing. is. Even in the soundscape, those hums and like you were talking about the Oz effect, and there's so many times when he plays with silence and then just like very low, like static, right. you yep. know, and yep. things like that that create that unease. Yep. And the electricity definitely <clears throat> is a huge role. Well, and for what, people that I, aren't familiar with like how he like he does the sound oh, yeah. design for most of his work, like all of it I for think, him, yeah. that's equally yeah yeah i just in case there's something he didn't do it for but yeah for like any of the big stuff like he is also the sound designer he works with these different people this is a guy that he worked with at the beginning i think his name is something his last name is spell Mm -hmm. uh and i have a a couple of uh he they released a couple you could purchase a bunch of his uh sound design stuff that i did at one point that i still use in all all my uh films and it's like yeah these weird i think it's called sounds from another realm and it's just these weird, like, recordings of weird electricity yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's there. And even like you said, Steve, if he never read any of those UFO books, or he's tapped into the same stuff. Absolutely. Like he is, like, whether it's through the TN yeah. or that idea yeah. space, like, he's going to that space and, like, bringing it back. I mean, because, like, we all know humming and all yeah. the big yeah. part of the UFO lore. Yeah, I, I, I honestly do believe that if you are really into Fortiana and High Strangeness, I, I mean, I think like a way to understand it in a new way and maybe even stronger is to really study david lynch because he is representing high strangeness in this organic way that comes from him but is so archetypically representational of the phenomenon you know like it's a hundred percent even during all these rewatches that i you know religiously do I learn something new every time, not necessarily about David Lynch, but about high strangers in my research into it. I'm like, oh my God, like it'll be like revelatory to yeah, me. Yeah, totally. And what's awesome about that is that you can come away, like if you ingest his work, 
and then you watch even one interview he does, you can come away from a investigation into high strangeness with practical things you can use to make your life yes. better. Like he, the way he he integrates the weirdening into his life, and like we talk a lot about living in a magical world and like reenchanting the world, and that's what he lives in a magical yeah. world. He walks out the yeah. door and interacts with the world differently that and in a way that we could all benefit from. Right. He talks about uh, this idea that we are we are artists we can't help but create and even if you look at a janitor you know funny i brought up that scene because in one of his tm talks he talks about even someone that's a custodian they can do that and he argues that they will do that in an artful way because that's how humans work they try and figure out the best way right. to swing the mop the most efficient yes. way and you find beauty in everything you do and like those yeah. are the things when you marry those ideas and you know, I'm doing a poor job. He is such a beautiful talk like speaker. He has an elegant way yep. of conveying these ideas. And he does the thing that all of my favorite dudes from Ram Dass to Terrence McKenna, to, he talks in a way that is both authoritative but flexible at right. the same time. He talks yeah. like he has found the real thing yeah. and he knows, like when he's talking about transcendental meditation, he's like, you just need to transcend. You'll be better tomorrow. Yeah. You can do it right now. Yeah. Stop fucking around. And like, but at the same time, when he's talking he's also like this is one method there's a million other ways this is the way that i found is the most direct yeah. but like there's yep. that mix of like authority like he knows what he's talking about and this like uh ability to like stay open-minded and not be right. rigid in his thinking that i think is so and i special. think that comes with authority through experience uh -huh. i was uh uh bringing this up and it's you yes. know uh, one of my favorite books oh, and i was too. just gonna say that you know if you want like a great self-help book yep. Like, you yeah. know, for a creative, I say like, you know, purchase this, yeah. you know, catching in, the big in, fish in the way that it's, yes. yeah, catching the big fish. It's, it's, it's light in the sense that it's not prescriptive. It's yeah. not dogmatic, but it says things like here, it's one of my favorites here where he says, an idea is a thought. It's a thought that holds more than you think it does when you receive it. But in that first moment, there is a spark. In a comic strip, if someone gets an idea, a light bulb goes on. It happens in an instant, just as in life. It would be great if the entire film came all at once, but it comes for me in fragments. That first fragment is like the Rosetta Stone. It's the piece of the puzzle that indicates the rest. It's hopeful. It's a hopeful puzzle piece. Um, and I really love how Beautiful. he has this idea of the mystery, but the hope in there. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, yes, 100%. And that's like, that <clears throat> is so cool to see that in action because you can take that. And what we were talking about earlier with Blue Velvet, that's how Blue Velvet came. He saw that ear and that was the yeah. whole movie. He saw that ear underground yeah. and that was the idea that he brought back from the idea space. And, and I love when he talks about TM and stuff. He's like, you don't go there for the ideas. You go there so that you're more, you're a better receptor when you're at the drawing table, you're in the workshop. Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't normally get the ideas while you're meditating. Like you can, it happens, but like you don't normally do that. You do that as a way to open up that reception yes. and to become more of it familiar. And I think that's another thing that like kind of parallels paranormal and creativity that I love. Like people see that when you have paranormal experiences, a lot of the times that opens you up to more paranormal experiences yep. yeah. and creativity is the exact same way. The more yeah. you invest yes. time in that idea, the more create, the more the muse comes, the easier it comes, the more it yeah. shows up, the more like you, the more you interact with these things, the more you build that part of your uh, subconscious or whatever you want to call it, you know? Yeah. And I think Lynch is just, he's a beautiful example of somebody that I think is, I guess the uh, the best example I should say of how 
it's not just important to make beautiful work and and art. It's important to live as an artist. Like his whole life is a work yeah, of art. Right. Like the movies, the paintings, the woodwork. Like it's all just parts yeah. of this whole and the message that he presents as a whole. And I think that's why the third season of Twin Peaks is so important. Yeah. Like, the, like I feel like his his like even if he never does anything else like if he ends his career with that i feel like he's saying something really absolutely absolutely there's a certain confluence and distillation i feel like of the of the david lynch you know oeuvre in twin peaks the return Mm -hmm. i mean everything from you know the inclusion of the evolution of the arm as one of his sculptures to you know episode eight which for anybody that has any experience in like 60s experimental structural materialist film it's like this you know amazing sort of like that sequence at the uh, trinity site is like a stan brackage i was just gonna say brackage you know yes yeah and it's it's like to me when i saw that i'm like it just blew my mind i'm like he's bringing everything together he's taking all of the things that he's been doing and he's funneling it into this one uh output and it was really really you know there's this idea called late art which is idea, you know, like some people like, you know, like, and that, that means like an artist who, you know, their work in late in life after they've absorbed a whole yeah. lifetime of experience yeah. in doing art. And sometimes it works out incredible. There are some artists like who make their best work late in life. And I actually am yeah. one of those people who I think Lynch has just gotten better because he's the perfect That's example of a great late artist. And I think season three of Twin Peaks was the total distillation of David Lynch. It was it was like yeah. really like an almost like an overview of his whole work crammed yeah. into these episodes in season 3. And like you, like you, like you said, yeah. I'm so happy you mentioned Stan Brackage because I remember when I watched episode 8, I was like, "Oh my god, I feel like I'm in an experimental film class in college." Right. And I loved it. I remember going experimental film class was yeah. the greatest class I ever took. And Brackage and Myra Myra Darren, especially meshes up the afternoon were the two biggest influences on me as a aspiring so filmmaker, cool. you know, and yep. Oh, uh, just, and Oh my God, watch Eraserhead and meshes of the afternoon. And you're like, Oh yeah. Lynch was, oh, you know, obviously watching my, he hair, watched you know. that. He must, I mean, you know, you can see even to like the symbology of the key in the mirror. Per, I mean, like it's that, that is a, if like, if no, it's a short film, it's like 15 minutes. I, and you can find it on YouTube meshes of the afternoon, yeah. Myra Darren. I cannot recommend it enough. It's one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's I haven't seen this. You will yet. love it. I am not. I am not nearly as much of a cinephile or somebody who's dip, like when he Lynch seems to have the same four people he references when people ask him for his influence. He's like, I don't watch stuff currently. He yeah, never. He's right. always like, don't keep yeah. up, don't. But he talks about Kubrick, Fellini, and then two names I don't yeah. know of, but I always hear him talk about that. You guys probably he know loves him. Billy Wilder then, too. Yeah, yeah, Billy yeah. Who's the other one? I totally forgot. I, it Ford? It might be like I think it is Ford. I think he loved those. Like yeah, yeah. Ford. Um, there, yeah, didn't man, he, so he played? Didn't he play? He played John Ford in Spielberg's movie about. Uh, he did. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, he, awesome. he and he did not want to do it. It took him like a year to do it. Laura Dern had to go over to his house and convince him. Spielberg like went through Laura Dern. Right. Right. And so she went over with a pack of cigs and like they drink coffee and she finally convinced him. But he's like, I like Steven's a nice guy. I just don't get his movies. That's what he said. 
Yeah. It's <laughs> so funny. I've been having this experience recently where I've just been asking questions in my brain that get answered later randomly instead of just like using the internet like a normal person. But I was watching a bunch of YouTube videos of David Lynch and this little, you know, how YouTube shows you the shorts now. I never click on them, but one popped up. It's like Steven Spielberg about casting David yeah. Lynch. I'm like, who the when, when did Steven Spielberg cast <laughs> David Lynch in something? Right. And now you guys answered the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Todd, something I want to bring bring up because I had this and this, this is going to sound so stupid because I should have put this together a long time ago and Chris I'm sure you did but my wife and I just started watching season one again like we'll watch like two episodes on a Sunday while we're you know eating spaghetti and nice. I just realized that Dr. Jacoby is an homage to Terrence McKenna yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe yeah. I did not put that together because I've loved McKenna yeah. for a long time. I was like, what is wrong yeah. with me? It like hit me like a lightning bolt. I'm like, how did I not see this? It's crazy. I know it's you love really McKenna, really so funny. I want to say that. Yeah, no, I, I was that's one of my favorite things about your Oh my god, was. yeah. That did not set in until the return for right. me, actually. Right. And like the I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the return that like really solidifies like, oh, I get like Going back and revisit, especially Fire Walk with me, like revisiting Fire Walk with me in context of the return is really special and For something sure. that's like it makes the movie operate in a whole different way. But one of the things that I wanted before we get all the way down uh, the season three rabbit hole, one of the things that it makes me think of is this idea of cultural context we were talking about before. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like season three happened at such a perfect, like if I was in my friend's room in 2002 and the first thing I saw was season three, I might be like, mm, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, you right. know, it might be too much for right. me at that point in my life as a like, you know, 16 year old kid, just kind of seeing this stuff for the first time. And like, yeah. cause like yeah. part of what got me in there, like I remember watching that first episode and be like, did we just watch like five episodes of something? The thickness of what's going yeah, on yeah. and the interweaving yeah. of all of those yeah. like beautiful people and stuff. But having it come out when it came out was the perfect yeah. time. It's what I wanted because they, between that time I had my first kid, I got way back into this high strangeness thing. I had become a full-time working artist who had revisited Lynch via the book that we were just talking about and all of his talks on creativity. So I was primed for this. And when that came out, it was so special for me and it made me think about how like i wonder if anybody's experiencing this show as their first experience in the twin in twin peaks uh universe and how like that is such a different thing than having that experience with the first two seasons as your first yeah. introduction and and not again i'm not trying to say better or worse i'm just it's not as uh user friendly let's say uh, for, <clears throat> for lack of better words yep but one of the things that i love about it and i love all the weirdness and i love the decisions and i think you're right it's like one of the best uh, portrayals of the esoteric and the occult or the high strangeness that's ever been made but it also makes those little blips of old twin peaks sing so much i think of the scene where ed comes to the double r and the live otis redding yeah. track is playing in the back like i have goosebumps mm -hmm. just thinking about it and like that scene would not sing the way it does during that if the rest of the it's like they flipped they made the bass the weirdness and made the other stuff the soap <laughs> opera right. stuff like sprinkled yeah, yeah. in versus the beginning for two seasons where it, the bass was the soap yep. opera with the weirdness now like right. we flip and 
it makes sense with the time in the world that it came yeah. out because the whole fucking world flipped at that point like you know yeah. like, like yeah. it really is the perfect cultural statement it, if you look it, at it, it, it truly is and if you look at the state of the town of twin peaks when they do show it it is not the same place at all it's not oh you know no. damn good pie and coffee it, it is yeah. kids getting hit 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 and run shootings and violence it is the destruction of um, the american dream like it really is i mean like twin peaks has it became this it was once this idyllic american small town now it is an absolute dystopian nightmare and it really it really is to me like no one is happy in that show like you find you come in the middle Mm -hmm. of everyone's lives and they're in complete distress uh that's that's why i feel like the ending and and this doesn't really give much away the ending essentially ends with a scream yeah you know with with uh laura palmer like and i feel like to me that scream at the end it that symbolizes this like no it's it's rotten yeah it's more like yeah not only can you not go back to the idyllic but like it's like she saw the void yeah exactly and i think the whole theme of twin peaks season three which I love personally because the, the one thing I, I didn't think Lynch and Frost were going to do this, but I think a lot of people were expecting a lot of fan service where it was going to be a return yes. to the sh- you know the soap opera world. I'm like, I don't see that for Lynch. He's only gotten weirder, yeah. you know. So like, I was actually very happy it was not that. Uh, I was too. Yeah, it, it is the whole thing. The theme for Twin Peaks season three is means like you can't go back. You cannot yes, go back. It's dude, like <laughs> I think that lines up so well with. I mean, one of the best parts and one of the reasons I think. Twin Peaks has stuck around the way it has is because of the theories, like the way that Lynch doesn't give you any answers and he allows everybody to have this reflective experience with it. And then you just get to have all these fun theories and whatnot. I love the one that people talk about essentially with the third season that Coop stops the murder from happening and that is why twin peaks is in this horrible state because that murder had to happen. Like, like the darkness had to be released via that, act in that event and without that release so coop is acting in like this purity this like he is trying to do what he thinks is right but it gives you that idea that sometimes we're a little too nearsighted as like silly little humans that we think we know what is right and what is not right for certain situations and him essentially stopping that that murder and that heinous act calls the rest of this darkness to bubble out and take over yeah. the town or the world it's and like, like you can kind of figure it is it is very much and so. like they i've heard smarter people than me talk about how you can relate that to the way in like global politics how you know the u.s uses a lot of this we're the good guys doing good things around the right. world to perpetrate this darkness that's spreading and it's mm-hmm. not even like it's the ha 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 guys it's just like there's a darkness that wants to spread and this is the facilitating thing and again maybe we're too close maybe it's a good thing that that stuff happened and maybe you know like but he's he's bringing all those things to question Uh in this third season to me that i think is really important because it's never in twin peaks it's never black or white it's never just like this is good this is bad like it's always something that like strives for a deeper understanding of things and there's also the sort of the gesture towards a more esoteric uh take on the idea of like you know political corruption or you know cycling into you know uh negative socio-political um uh, regimes and stuff like that which is the episode eight narrative which essentially is saying that something when the first nuclear bomb was uh, yes. uh, uh, set off at Trinity, 
that set something off. And you could say that, you know, sure, you could say that from sort of a sociological Oppenheimer. It's the beginning Mm -hmm. of, you know, the downfall of, you know, modern society with this amount of destruction, or it released an extreme negative entity called Zhao Day. (laughs) This is where we could start talking about another person we all love in which is Grant Morrison, who wrote that exact storyline in The Invisibles. Like, that's one of those things where I'm like, when I watched that episode, I was like, did did he read the invisibles is this like because obviously like grant didn't come up with that idea like he tapped it but it, it represents that idea that he's using these archetypes it's like and there's those those ideas of cultural shifts i think are one of the biggest themes that he plays with throughout twin peaks yeah. and his work in general yeah. that i think yeah. is really really important and it always makes me think of this uh it's a weird connection but it always makes me think of this ramdas uh, lecture he gives at one point about the death of storylines in culture and he talks about it like with the 50s having this ideal america and that storyline dies with the 60s and then this new storyline starts of hippies and revolution and free love and that storyline dies with the 70s and what he recognizes is that these storylines pop up and die faster and faster and now there's more storylines popping up so yeah. you know we're, we're essentially i think Lynch is playing with that same idea that there's these like ebbs and flows throughout culture that you can like pinpoint and connect. You can hang things off of it. Like, I don't think he's actually saying like the bomb opened up a portal and whatnot, but he's hanging it there so that you can play with that idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and, and that is the wonderful thing about Lynch's work. I mean, there's, there's many wonderful things, but like, I love that there is this ongoing, like, um, participatory mystery like when you watch like lost highway and the credits roll you're like wow i mean like i, I, I can tell i've seen yeah. lost highway 10 oh, times yeah. i don't know what it means but i can't yeah. stop thinking about it and so there's this thing he's giving you this gift he's like presenting like art but he's also presenting this mystery that you can take with you the rest of your life and apply to other the, the other mysteries of life that's why i do think like like with ufos and all you know the high esoteric high strange stuff I believe will human beings will never know what it is. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a knowable thing. I think it has maybe something to do with the nature of reality more than entities from somewhere else. You know, I think it's all here. Yes. And I think Lynch is this it's a function to make us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, toward the mystery. Absolutely, yeah. Chris. And, yeah. and, and I think a Lynch film works the same way, where it's like it's a function to help you maybe look at mystery in a new way. Dude. I can't agree. He talks about that a lot. He talks about mystery. Mm -hmm. He loves mystery. It's so beautiful. One of the best things, one of my favorite uh, side quests of David Lynch is the way Douglas Rushkoff talks about um, AI technology a lot of the time and Mm -hmm. the way that he differentiates that it won't be a conscious thing is that an AI could never enjoy a David Lynch movie. Like That is what makes humans special is that we can sit in a David Lynch movie and have a easily... We've been talking for an hour and I feel like it's been five minutes and we haven't even like scratched the surface of this stuff. And like That's what makes humans special is that that it's the things that highlight that we're supposed to sit in mystery. Like, you know, I was just talking to um, I can't remember, maybe it was Josh yesterday or maybe it was uh, the ungoogle michelangelo but i was talking about how i've recently been thinking a lot about how i've been chasing goosebumps my whole life like i remember the first time that i watched the simpsons and i turned mm-hmm. it off and my arms like it gave me physical goosebumps because it felt yeah. so good watching i was like oh that's magic yeah. like i just 
in took something that had a physical reaction and lynch gave me those mm-hmm. goosebumps hearing the ramones for the first time seeing sure. a un unlit sky where you see all yep. the stars gave like and i've just been chasing those goosebumps yeah. and what i realized is that those goosebumps are connected with mystery yes. and curiosity and that's yes. what lynch does that's what the paranormal does for right. me it's these things that say like i was talking to somebody the other day about how like i feel like i show up and one of the reasons I like strange stuff so much is because it gets me comfortable with sitting with the unknown because I show up at the drawing table not knowing what the fuck I'm going to do every day. And I have this white thing in front of me, this blank screen, this thing. And the more comfortable I am with sitting with like not knowing what's going to come out, the better stuff yeah. comes yeah. out. So I feel like all yeah. these things kind of function like function like psychedelics in a way. It's like dying before dying. Yes. You can kind of touch yeah. those things yeah. and open yourself up. I mean, I, I even feel that way as an actor. Like I'm always prepared in terms of like I know my lines front and backwards. But I used to really plan my moves in a scene. Like, I'm going to go over here and maybe do this kind of weird face. And, like, now I just know my lines. And maybe it's because, it, you know, it comes with experience. But, like, I try to go in there with discovery. It also helps me listen to the other people I'm in the scene with. Because, when, you know, yeah. listening to them will dictate how I say the lines. And so it's Dude, something they never teach you in an acting class or in theater school because yeah. i took plenty of those and they never taught yeah. you to really be in the moment and the only way to be in the moment yeah. is to not prepare all the way i think <laughs> yeah yeah, Steve, yeah yeah i didn't even think about this until right now but That's from great. an acting point of view like the acting is something that like twin peaks just is so special it's so stylized, like, yeah like those first two seasons the overacting yes. like Laura's mom yeah. might be one of the best roles oh. out of anything I've ever seen Grace in my life. Like, what, yeah. Right? Like, what's your relationship to that as an actor? Like, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, it takes, obviously, I think it takes experience. You can't start off with just going, like, I'm not going to, like, fully prepare my stuff. You're, you're so nervous about just doing a good job, you know, for the first 10 years. Yeah. But after a while, you're like, well, they hired me for a reason, and I'm just going to go in. And sometimes it may not work out for the particular director. But I do try to go in really knowing my lines. Because if you know your lines really well, then you can start playing with, you know, moments in the scene. But I tried to not prepare any, like, moves, actory moves in anything I do. Whether it's, like, you know, one scene in, in a, a dumb comedy, it still helps me. I enjoy my performance more and I enjoy the work more. Where I feel like I've convinced myself I am this character. I am actually in this moment. The rest of the crew doesn't exist around me. That is when I feel like I can do my best work or any actor can, but that actually takes a while to get there, you know, kind of. It does. And it's, I mean, yeah, directors, I mean, or at least me as a director, I much prefer to work with actors, you know, that way. And I think it becomes something that is, it's like playing with a band, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody has their instrument. And as long as you're paying attention to your instrument and you're in it, it's going to come out amazing. Yeah. It'll, it'll at the very least be very interesting, you know, <laughs> or at least be very interesting, yeah. which for me is amazing. That's I, all I'm same here. And that, that's yeah. all I ever want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to be interesting in the work I do. So, you know, I'm sorry, really quick. Like you're saying about mystery. Know. Cause I thought that was so, so great, Todd, but like without mystery, I feel like people like us, maybe people who have kind of like chased the art life, I don't know why I get up in the morning with that mystery. It is so important to me. Like, I mean, like I'm not one of those, you know, people who can just fall for all the life's distractions, like go to work nine to five, wash a body night football, rinse and repeat. I, I would lose my mind. Like I'm just a liminal person, I guess. Yeah. But like for certain people, I think and it's kind of people who have are in the art life. Mystery is like the engine for us, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, and that's what Lynch, yeah. like kind of like, 
he's like the big cheerleader saying like guys embrace the mystery we you do not yes, have to explain yes. yourself yeah. do your art it doesn't matter if people get it or not you're you know you're doing something beautiful if you like yeah. really are true to the idea so absolutely absolutely and there's like there's something that's so practical about the way he talks about those mm-hmm. things that really like one of the things that i think can get away with people from people when they start talking like lynch does in a lot of ways is it starts becoming uh less applicable to everyday life where he keeps it so grounded yeah. and he keeps it very like even the way he talks about when people are like what do you think about improvising this made me think of it with what you were just saying he's like they have to know their lines if something pops up then something yeah, pops up they, like, he's a stickler yeah. like yeah. know your lines yeah. i wrote yeah, them for exactly. a reason and like, absolutely and you wouldn't exactly expect that from lynch to be yeah. honest like when i first started hearing him say that i would have thought he would have been more of the like well we kind of feel it out yeah. and like it's like no like creativity comes from this mix and this is something i like really took away from the, uh, the the book the art of war it's this mix of structure and anti-structure yeah. that really beautiful things sure. come from that space in between yep. like you have to That's be able right. to show up at the drawing table or the typewriter computer whatever it is every day but you got to give yourself enough flexibility to you know uh take a walk yeah. or to get up and, and, I, and like yeah. you know have an extra yeah and, and i think that is applicable to art and like especially improvisation which was kind of my foundational like um uh, uh, education, I guess, in acting, but like, we, we oh god, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oops, never mind. Moving on. We're just talking about <laughs> and and yeah, yeah, no, but like, well, no, I guess, I, I guess it's like you need to ha- understand the craft really well, and when you do, and you yes. know the rules, and you can do the rules, then you can break all of them. Yeah. Totally. There's, a, yeah, I think there's to me. I, I always call it an internalization. You have to kind of like uh-huh. in, internalize all of these external things so that it becomes not like sense memory, but it's something that is like within you rather than you trying to kind of control it outwardly. Absolutely. I, you know, that's a little bit no. Sense. I know what you mean. It, it, there's something to that because there is that thing where like when you use your consciousness in a different way it allows the subconscious to bubble up like driving is probably the most popular example and you're mm-hmm. like conscious mind is taken over by driving you have the best thoughts because you're subconscious like you're performing an act that your brain is kind of handling and then you can easily connect showers or yeah. another example or like some of my best ideas that i still use to this day came from when i was working in a kitchen and was like working on the line and had had all these ideas that i didn't have time or the energy to execute they're all yep. in notebooks and sketchbooks and like you know there's something about occupying that physical mind part that allows the other part to kind of bubble yeah, up. And it, I, yeah, well, I've been trying to do something that is actually, it's it, it's it's almost sad how hard it is, but I like to take walks around my neighborhood, not necessarily, you know, for, just for exercise, but just to like get out and like, you know, refresh my brain. But, you know, for the last 20 years, I've either been listening to a podcast or music, but now I'm trying to force myself to go out in complete silence, which honestly yes. it is, is it makes Dude. me sad how hard it is for me. Because yeah, there'll be times where I'll, I'll be, yeah, I better take the, the garbage out. Maybe I'll listen to a couple, like two songs while I do it. And like I, yeah. it's like there's media coming into my brain all times. So I'm trying to have moments where I go take a walk, and when I do, the ideas are there. It's crazy. I will exactly. like go home. Go, oh my god, I have like three ideas for the thing I'm working on. But when I yeah. do have media. Even music, like the ideas don't come as easy. It's weird. Yes. Uh, I couldn't relate more to this literally in the last like 
two weeks I've been so usually I wake up and I make coffee and then I put a podcast on and I start mm-hmm. drawing and like I've been forcing myself to not put the podcast on because like mm-hmm. yeah I like I've realized and I, it's the same thing I can't believe how hard it is for me and like it's even hard. though like when I yeah when I'm really in it it yeah, feels so much funny. better yeah. like an hour will pass when I'm just like drawing without yeah. anything on and I'm like oh that was really nice right and, like I've been trying to um work on more like comics and writing stuff in the morning like usually I started with just drawing and one of the nice parts about that is when you're writing dialogue and stuff for me it's impossible to have anything in your ears yeah. like I have to have oh, yeah, sure. it because for I'm sure. trying, like I'm having conversations with myself essentially uh-huh. so like that's been a really useful tool to like it's so funny I was like this growing up. I never understood people who just walk to walk. I'm always like, where are you walking to? Like walk to the store, walk to the baseball field, walk somewhere. And now I'm like, oh, that's the point. But the same thing, like you need to like have that time where you're it just is. like and, 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 and it's, like, it's sad how hard it was for me at first. Like really, I was like, oh my God, this is like torture. <laughs> like even though yes, I, I live yes. like a beautiful neighborhood, lots of trees, there's a park. I mean, it's so pretty. But I was like, oh, my yes. God, I need some media in my head. And and obviously, I still enjoy I – listen, I listen to tons of podcasts and listen to music all the time. But I am trying to give myself these little moments of just me in my – it's like meditation, really. It's like I'm, yeah. I do. I do TM as well. Like, you know, um, and, it, it, you know, at first it was very hard for me just to sit there for 20 minutes with my, you know <laughs> – and, and that was going to be one of my questions is if either of you have a meditative process whether it's tm or not like that's obviously I mean, part of lynch's whole thing so yeah I, so i yeah you've been how long have you been doing uh, i started in 2010 i believe i was just about ready to do uh co-direct my first film and i just started making money in the business and so i was like you know i'm gonna treat myself to tm and i did have an angle to it i ended up going to the beverly hills tm center met david lynch's personal instructor she asked me why i did it and i said because of david lynch and she goes would you like to meet him and i go yeah and she goes this saturday it was this was on a thursday i wasn't even done with the training she invited me to this like fundraiser in a beverly hills house beautiful mansion to meet david lynch and i wore like a suit because she's like it's a kind of a dress-up thing then right away she waved me over to david lynch he was sitting there smoking an american spirit and he I, I was with one of my friends. I took my, one of my buddies who was into TM as well. I had like a full anxiety attack. I started oh, sweating yeah. through my jacket. I was covered in sweat. And David Lynch grabbed my shoulder and for like two minutes started talking to me. I don't even really remember what he said because I was outside of my body. But like, I mean, like I signed up for TM two days later. I'm I'm hanging out with David Lynch. I'm like, well, this is worth it. <laughs> Yeah. Right. yeah success yeah <laughs> that's beautiful yeah, it was really that's funny beautiful. that's awesome how about you chris do you do any sort of i, I don't specifically briefly? do uh tm as you know the maharishi uh um uh uh sort of taught it but no I've, i mean i've been doing meditation since i was really young and been familiar with yoga so it's it is pretty easy for me to go into you know uh i can close my eyes and go into a thinking state for hours if I need to. Um, uh, I don't do it as much as I should when I do it. And, and when I have a regular practice and I find time to do it and have that silence, it helps me in every way, creatively, yeah. energetically, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I, you know, got to get it, my head out of my yeah. ass and find time. To no, do it. it's, I'm really hoping that all the work that, 
people like David Lynch have done and even like, you know, in the public school system, the exposure to kids like that, they, they just have right. a quiet time. Like my kid, oh, I'm lucky he goes to a public Montessori school. Mm. So I get the yeah. benefits of Montessori without the cost, yeah. but like they have yeah. meditation time in the beginning at the end of the day, they just call it quiet time. Yep. But like they do like little guided meditation, like just having that exposure yeah. at that young of an age, hopefully it, uh, it makes it a little bit more intuitive for people. Mm-hmm. Cause I agree. Yeah. Like it's something I've always struggled with and like, Coming up in the 90s, there's this like thing that's stuck in my brain forever that like meditation and Lynch covers this. He talks about this like meditation has this knee jerk, like hippy dippy bullshit thing in my brain still, even though right. like I talk about totally Ram Dass yep. and Terrence McKenna and all these people I love that like. But in my brain, I was brought up in that like, you know, Kevin Smith slackers like, you know, like you don't totally talk about that. that. Yeah, <laughs> man. And like the that's why I really think it's it's important what like david lynch has done for popularizing these things and like everybody will benefit from living a more quiet life a couple minutes a day Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah no matter whether you're doing tm or walking around the neighborhood quiet yeah just let those thoughts come in your head for a minute and see how fucking yeah it it, it is true like like chris said like i will go through like uh you know stretches where i'm doing it all the time and then i'll go through stretches because i'll convince myself i'm too busy to do it which i'm not really i have 20 minutes right. you know like but i convince exactly. myself i'm too busy but when i am doing it i am it sounds so cheesy to say kind of at least in my opinion the best version of myself i'm not as yeah. cynical i mean i have yeah. a tendency like I, I follow politics i'm a progressive minded person so the current era of politics is riled up it's very upsetting to me all the time and i can really obsess about that stuff and climate change and all you know all that jazz but meditation helps me still pay attention to it but synthesize it in a positive way it's like maybe we could do something about it you know like as opposed to like it's all over we're screwed you know like (laughs) yeah i've been sitting I just we're at almost an hour and a half. Are you guys cool for a second? Oh yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Start wrapping up here yeah, yeah. slowly here, but I know we got kind of off the Twin Peaks thing. But Steve, that makes me think a lot about. I've been um, transcribing the Grant Morrison DisinfoCon uh, lecture he oh, gave into comics. Nice. Like I've been doing so like single cool. page comics yes. of it, and it's been really cool to read through and like mainly like I love when you get a book and you can really digest that book physically and you can't do that with like YouTube lectures that are just as important to me in a certain way. So this is my way of like digesting the information and like really like fucking it up and living (sighs) with it. That's so awesome. So like, like, I, I've been doing that, and one thing he jumps around in so many things that are just beautiful little tidbits, right? In this in this lecture, and one thing he talks about is how you have to trust nature or you don't trust nature, and humans are an extension of nature. The atom bomb is an extension of nature. Skyscrapers, extension of nature, and sometimes extensions of things destroy the thing it's extending from, but it's usually for a reason that that thing can't see at that point and what it comes down to is you trust nature you don't so get over it is essentially what he says and there's a lot of stuff in there that like it's funny because like i almost feel like dirty saying that right now in certain ways because of all the things that are going on but i think there's something that's almost like reassuring about that to remember that like no matter where that we see ourselves as separate from nature so much that yeah. we're destroying this place yes. that we're like, and even before that, the, the way I was raised is we're the custodians of this earth. We we're here to take care of it. Do your part, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And like, I think all that's kind of bullshit. Cause we are the yeah. earth. We are of yeah. 
Gaia. Right. And like, we have to trust that. And I was like, God damn it, Grant Morrison, you and your Scottish yeah. ass accent did it again. <laughs> like, and he says that, like, that statement is like 10 words, three seconds. And like, it yeah. hit me so powerfully because I love these ideas that seem more controversial, but at the core of them, they're like more true in a way or like beautiful like ramdas's whole rap about it's all perfect yeah. and that like perfection right. he starts that speech with this beautiful poem from a uh, buddhist monk where he starts so he's like i am the grasshopper i am the frog that eats the grasshopper i am the mm -hmm. grass that grows from the frog defecating i am the snake yeah. that eats the frog and like yeah. how we are like we were talking about before lynch's idea that we are the black and the white lodge all at once and that's perfect mm -hmm. that's what makes everything perfect so even like and what ramdas says is that the sitting in the pure humanity of what's happening in the world is unbearable like we can't sit in the idea of like the atrocities but sitting in perfection is too unhuman it's too out of touch and it's this middle ground yeah. but using statements like it's all perfect pushes people to that yes. middle ground. and i'm like man sure. it's really weird that like that sure it's out of that concept to me keeps coming back in certain ways and uh what you were just saying, Steve, I relate to so much and getting called yeah. up in those, especially like having kids, even with like the new school year, I swipe over and my news is like all these weird new COVID things and certain school districts are shutting yeah. down again. And I'm like, God yeah. damn it. Like, and I just kind of, I don't read more now. And right. I'm like, maybe that's bad. But at this point I'm like, I go back to the, it's all happening the way it's happening. We'll take it day by day. And like, there's something kind of reassuring. Yeah. Well, there's this new school and I can't remember who came up with the concept and it might be old, but I've heard like modern philosophers in like the last 20 years talk about this idea of the best possible world. And the best, that is that there's many versions of like, you know, Chris and Todd and myself and the world going on, but we're living in the best possible version. What, and, and like, Dude, what, whether that. it's good or bad, it is the best possible version. So it, I'm not explaining it very well because I, I don't know the concept I know on a very you know basic level, but like, it's an interesting idea. And I think it's kind of one of these ideas like, Hey man, like don't wish for something else. You are here. This is the deal. Let's make it the best possible world. Let's do yeah. it. No, dude, that, that is beautiful. I mean, um, green day was a huge band for me growing up like you know 94 like i said was like a huge year for me and that's when dookie came mm -hmm. out and it's going to be 30 years old this wow. year right like 30th Jeez, anniversary of dookie so they just released the four track demos and there is a nice. version of basket case that is the exact same song with completely different lyrics and i'm yeah. listening to the song that song to me did something similar to like what twin peaks did it changed culture yeah. and allowed yeah. for this like opening of like you know this kind of adolescent like teen angsty thing that was like sure. these were kids from a garage in california that came up through the punk scene and now changed the music industry right? yeah like but basket case this this uh anthem of the teen angst right before the way he had it written it was this beautiful love song that's like as good as basket case but would have had that cultural effect and i started thinking right. like what timeline exists where this was what yeah. came out like where where it exists know, like, man this song. <laughs> exactly right like it's yeah. so well, you, oh, you, man you I know it's funny about that and this stuff. is not i mean i i because you mentioned Green Day and Basket Case, that is the, uh, uh, Ryan Sprague. You guys know who Ryan Sprague is? He has yeah, some yeah. of those guys, UFO yeah. guy. Um, great He'll dude. He'll be uh, presenting. At I am. I'm not, I'm not trying right? to plug that. But <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So there we go. But um, he was listening to that song on his disc man when he had his life-changing UFO experience. 
Yes. You know, he saw a giant that. UFO over a lake and he was listening to that song. And he, he always mentioned that. that he was listening to that song. And so I was, Me, yeah. I, it's always stuck out to me. And dude, that song and that album has so many weird ties to my life. The one like known design company or the one cool artistic thing in Delaware is house industries. And even if you don't know the name house industries, you know, their work, they did like logos for Ferrari, Coca-Cola, Fortnite, like all of these like giant Lego, like they've done, you've seen their work a hundred percent. And their first job ever was doing the logo for Dookie and the way that he got it. He just, he made this font, just hand drew this font and sent it out to like Warner Brother Records and all these places just randomly in like 1992, right? And never heard anything back, figured he was done. And then randomly some you know record executive from Warner Brothers calls him and was like, we want to buy this font and we want to give it, we want to use it for this new record by this new band, Green Day, Dookie. Do you have the font? And he's like, I just drew the sample. I don't have an actual font to sell you. I let me make that. And they're like, here's the credit card. And that's how his career started. Wow. To the point wow. right now. That's like, awesome. They're like the most recent. I'm like, when I recently, uh, my alumni, Delaware College of Art and Design gave me a distinguished alumni award last year. And he was the speaker yeah, of right. graduation. And he yeah. told that story. And I was like, oh my God, that's, a, I love those little like things that come like that record that meant so much to me the cover is beautiful and the font, everything's perfect. It was made in Delaware where I'm from, where nothing really cool. Is you know, like we, we have like some weird tie to Bob Marley and Cab Calloway. Andrew's the greatest tax, tax haven in the United States. Yeah. Is that right, true? That's right. And the, Yes, yeah. If you incorporate, you incorporate in Delaware almost 100 There's like a building or a, like a business park where like, it's like everybody. It's like Warren Buffett, Joe Biden. You know, uh, Coca Cola. Like, they all Coca-Cola, have a. Yeah. They have an office with one person and a phone, just so they can have the address. Like it's a, it's, yeah. it's a building God. called Orange Street. There's this very famous Stephen Colbert uh, bit about it, where they go to the Orange Street building, and it's like all of the top 10 fortune 500 or whatever companies. And they all are just like this shell thing. We're the Cayman islands of the States. Like yeah. that is what we That's do. Crazy. That's why it's, it's why Wilmington's a desolate wasteland. It's very sad because the city was constructed essentially for people to come in of and get out of and go to the suburbs. And by doing that, the way they inserted the highways and the systems, it destroyed the city's ability to walk and move. And it created these yeah, segmented that's... little like wastelands, which happened all over. Yeah. You know, that's yep. a big thing that happened everywhere with 95. Yeah. Oh. Roads are weird. They right? are. Like, oh, like, yeah. A whole thing. Oh, right? we yeah. could do a whole Dude, episode okay. of roads, baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. We won't, we're at an hour and a half here is there any final like we should do this again one Uh, yeah the other thing is after i told a few people we were doing this i had a bunch of people that are like i want in so i think we can even have a couple more friends that we could do ap strange definitely has a uh anti twin peak season three stance which i'd love which i I would love to hear it too me too me too because again like I do, I think I understood where he was coming from. And we kind of touched on that with how they kind of like that reversing of putting the weird as the foundation and the soap opera. Yeah, I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. loved that surreal soap opera, soap opera yeah. type play. And I think he probably did lose some people along the way. Oh, definitely and did. Yeah. I could, 
I don't blame him. Like, I don't like, you know, I don't blame someone like AP for not being as yep. into it. And like, there was certain points where there was friends like that. I was in that bedroom watching the original series with that. I haven't even talked to the third season about because I know they didn't yep. like it. And I know yep. like, I, I just don't even want to have the conversation. Yep. I'm like, it's cool. I know this is for you. I actually, I actually feel forward. like it was more unpopular with Twin Peaks fans than it was popular. Like yeah, a lot right, of the ones yeah, that, yeah. and like, that's fine. There's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, do you guys listen to the Weird Studies podcast? Oh, I do. They, they, they <laughs> yeah. Have you listened to their? I, ha- I podcast? have. I think. I mean, they do such a good job. <laughs> really. Yeah, they're way smarter than I am. Yeah. I think about asking them on the podcast a lot. And I'm like, oh, I can't talk that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're intimidating, but their breakdown. Twi- they've done two of them, I think. One of their first episodes yeah. was on gar. Uh, gar- blah, why can't I say the word? Um, garbage. Garb- garb- garbage. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the podcast actually kind of started because of Twin Peaks because they wanted to break yeah, it down, yeah. and then they, you know, yeah. they're like, ah, oh, maybe we should keep doing this, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, talking they... esoteric Twin Peaks, you can Google that, and it's like a million things yeah. show up. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I, you know, I'll probably link a couple of their episodes just because I do feel like oh yeah, enjoy this conversation. Yeah. They would get a lot out of them. Like, I think so. They, it's essentially like they don't talk. They talk a little bit more nuanced than we did yeah. about the actual goings on of everything. Right, so right. it's super, super fun. But uh, yeah, is there anything you all want to wrap up with besides sharing where to find your work or where you want to direct people? Go and uh, find uh, uh, on the air somewhere on YouTube. If yeah, you haven't seen it. If you're a Twin Peaks or a David Lynch fan, just find it and try to watch some of it. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, totally. Um, first, I would say thank you so much. This was so joyful, and I could literally do it all day long. <laughs> so, I mean, I would be down for me because I feel like we have not even scratched the surface on Twin Peaks. And, no, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. you know, we in fact maybe like going forward, we could like to say like let's talk about the esoteric side and like. But I would, I mean, yep. this I, I would love to do this almost as a series, <laughs> like you know, like yeah. And no, I'd be happy to host on my show or your show, whatever. Material. But like, yeah, I mean, dude, let's just start a series, Steve. We can put them on. Broadway I would love to. Shows and we could do because like i agree and i was thinking about whether i should have a topic to go down like whether we should say okay season one no, we should say because yeah. i think we could do a whole episode just on lynch yeah we could do a whole episode on frost yeah we could do a whole like because those like when i think about the twin peaks content that's out there the weird study stuff is what i me like too. like that's what yep, i'm like you too. know like yep. the rest of the stuff get like i don't the synopsises and everything are fine, yep. but like I think that we could uh, drill down on those concepts and those ideas so. that we completely. touched on. And, I think yeah, let's this do is it. a good overview yeah. of kind of Lynch, yeah. Yeah. Lynch's philosophy because that's a very good important. intro. We yeah. got to get the we got to get our you know uh, our love out. Yeah, a little bit. exactly. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I know it. When Exercise I, the love. I, when I start talking about Lynch, it's you know like I'm I start getting like short of breath. And it's like you know my my the be, my back so leg goes up. Good. You know I'm such a fanboy. No. You know so like and people you know I get. I, I remember I had a friend who loved Twin Peaks and he was like, when I was gushing about season three, as it was going on, he's like, Oh, you're just such a fanboy. You can't find any fault in him. You know? And I'm like, maybe that's true. Maybe I just like all his work and it moves me so much, but all right, so be it. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's meant to be. It's uh, usually I find when people, and this is not a comment or a dig at your friend, but usually I find when people have that view, it's because they haven't found that thing recently that did it for them. They forgot how good that is. Cause a lot of times people let go of those things, like that goosebumps that we get from like experiencing media, like, People stop chasing it. Yeah. People stop like you they know? do, and I think that like can reflect in the way they they uh, view other people's enjoyment. Of right. Games, right. Right. Sense. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. But yeah, awesome, dude. Steve, you're going to be giving a speech or have pre-recorded. I am. I am. And it, it, it's show. it's funny. I, I well, that. I <laughs> shocking. It's about the uh, the kind of the like surreal and absurd qualities of high strange encounters. And right up top, I I talk about Twin Peaks for about five minutes awesome. to help kind of Wonderful. lay the groundwork because I do yeah. use a Lynchian Twin Peaks lens, you know, since I saw it as a kid into this stuff where it's like, I'm hyper-focused on the weird part. I don't care about disclosure, The you know, because I feel like now ufology has become a political drama that is very uninteresting yeah. to me. Like I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, I was like, I kind of, jo- I was joking around with somebody on Twitter like a couple weeks ago. I was like, there's like people who are into UFOs in an X-Files way. And there's people who are into UFOs in a Twin Peaks way. And I'm in, I'm in the Twin Peaks camp, man. <laughs> like I don't oh, care about Area 51, Roswell. I just could not be less interested in. <laughs> no. No, give me that major bridge. Yeah, baby. <laughs> totally, dude. Yes, yes. Uh, well, well, is there anything else to tell people about the podcast? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I have, have I, too, have a podcast. It's called Hi, like H-I, like I'm saying hello to strangers. Hi, strangeness. And, uh, yeah, you'll see a lot of familiar faces. And, you know, we, I just it's kind of a chat show where we break down in a granular way a lot of what this stuff means, what it represents, and just kind of the fun stories of the weird. And, uh I sure have a ball doing it. So check it's it out. Wonderful. I think yeah, we were great. recording the little bit of a love session we gave via to the the new show earlier. Yeah. So oh, sure thank you. Oh, it's very just, well fed. I'm glad yeah. that you've uh, you started. Thanks, this. man. Well, you know, it was it was a birth out of the strike because I'm an actor who can't work <laughs> right now, and uh, I gotta do something. Does that stuff change? Is it changing? At no, all? it's. I mean, to be honest, it's a nightmare, and I don't think it's going to end this year. And I don't think oh, the industry will yeah. ever be the same. And no, it's, this is this is actually it's this is really catastrophic what's happening right now. So yeah, it is. I want to be more positive and, about it, but that's just not what I'm hearing, you know. And I'm friends with a, a SAG captain, and it's yeah, no, it's I grim. am too. Yeah, I got a buddy who's a SAG captain in New York. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, he's a right at WGA yeah, captain. Same deal. And, and yeah, same deal. Yeah, yeah it's really. Um, the only thing that that I can hope that will come out of this uh, is that maybe, maybe labor change in you know labor policies in general. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, this is the kind of thing that I think a lot of people are facing, mm-hmm. um, and the actors and writers have the guts to stand up to. Yep. It. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it's really tragic. Like I have a, like most of my friends have now lost their health insurance, and yeah. they're like downside they're selling they're short selling their homes like this is actually really bad what's happening i know a lot of people think oh actors writers they make a lot of money like no about one thousand people in the whole industry make a lot of money everyone else is totally working class Myself included, economy, like you know, yeah. yeah. It's project to project. It's project to project, it's not man. The type of thing where you can build a substantial savings for like no. a you know, year-long fucking work. No, and, and man, that's insane, yeah. Steve. I'm so. No, sorry it's okay. I mean, I'm happy it's happening because it has to. But yeah, it's a. Uh, it's just like everything else in this country where corporations are squeezing and capitalism is literally murdering people, and it's. Yep. You know, I could yeah. go on and on, but yeah. you know, like. Yeah, yeah it's no, sad it, to see. Yeah. It really is. It's something that I have thought a lot about in the way of I talk a lot on the podcast and ask people a lot about this cultural bifurcation and the way that like mainly through my kids, I see 
like we interact with culture so much differently mm-hmm. and like the structure that has existed seems unsustainable for a long time and like it seems like the the it, what sucks about all of these things and when these things come to a head is that the the kicking and screaming that goes down yeah. is always on the wrong side yep. like it's always yeah. the people that are like clinging to a system that died like 20 yep. years ago probably yep. right. i think right. you're exactly like, right not have yeah, it's really sad. I mainly keep updated through uh, one of my favorite non-paranormal podcasts called The Doughboys, in which it's a writer. And an I'm friends with Mike Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Iger does a pretty good job. Really? Of, yeah. yeah. I, love, I know Mike I real well. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I love that podcast so much. It's one of my favorite oh, things yeah. to listen to throughout Doughboys the week. Great. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, They're a bunch really of sweethearts, they too. Do, great people. And they, like, Nick... He, he usually writes an intro. He hasn't been writing intros for the show since the strike no. has started, but he gives updates and he'll give like little stats that are just like the most fucked up things you ever it's heard as far as like where money goes. Very dark. So sad. And it's crazy even to hear people like Mike Mitchell talk, like who's been in some substantial yep. stuff and being like, nah, like I'm fucked without this podcast. Yep. Like this is like the Patreon pays my yes, bills. It's, like, it's you know? honestly true. Yeah, you you would crazy. be shot. I just paid my friends, one of my best friends rent. I'm not going to say who it was, but you would, you would know this person. They're way more famous than I am, and I just had to pay his rent because he was going to lose his apartment. Yep. So, insane, dude. Well, yeah. God damn yeah. it. Thank, thank God there's people like you. Well, I, I, I mean, I can barely – I can't afford fine. to do it either, but, like, you know, he, he's good for it, you know? So, But, yeah. It's, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, no totally. totally. Yeah. But it's still, uh, nope. It's be- true. Beautiful that you're oh, there. Well, this is a weird note to end it on, but I am uh, glad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't get me started. <laughs> no, no. Oh, it's Dude, serious. It kind of makes me want to do another uh, podcast about this type of stuff because I do think there's this giant tie to pop culture and the weird and the paranormal yeah. and these changes in culture affect the strange, oh, affect the creativity, affect yeah. the idea yeah, totally. and everything. And like I think a lot of the times people use the paranormal and stuff as an escape from the material without realizing that the whole point is the the both. Like the, they're both they're there. Linked. We need to yep. like yep. we need to function in both worlds. Yep. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, dudes, thank you so much for hanging out and thank talking. Thank you. For the last anytime. This is the most fun I've had a long is there time. Anywhere Awesome. Is there anything you want to sh- leave people with, Chris, where to find you? Oh, I mean, you can go to brightrectangle.com to see, uh, you know, links to where you can find any of my old stuff. And I'll have a the new movie coming out that I uh, did a, a doc on Soraya, uh, Ascath, and the do- the podcast, Where Did the Road Go? And sort of, you know, yes. his life. That'll be finished, finished, and, you know, out for the public uh, this fall. Just, yeah. That's and watch The Hill in the Hole if you haven't seen it. Yeah, Hill in the Hole Dude. with uh, Adam Go Rightly, and uh, yeah, that's on. You can get it Prime and Troma now streaming. I, I just um, let me yeah. let me just uh, talk, Chris. He, he is a very humble person. That movie is brilliant. I love <laughs> it, and especially if you love the kind of stuff we were talking about today, um, <laughs> you are going to really enjoy this movie. I highly recommend it. Yeah. totally that's a whole nother like i would love to just talk to you all about lynch's influences and your direct work like you mentioned chris growing with lynch throughout your yeah. directing career yeah. like, i'd love to like that could be a whole episode in this absolutely and steve too. yeah i mean i'm yeah. sure when Same he directed was, yeah. he was you know thinking that yeah yeah yep. yeah totally absolutely. awesome well dudes thank you again enjoy the rest of the day we'll be chatting soon for sure awesome man awesome. thank you take care y'all